Good day, good day. I hope you are blessed and balanced. And we are finna get into another industry updates. Today is Friday, October 29th. It's 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 a good one. It's a good one today. So with let's let's just go ahead and jump on into it. So first up we see here ETH 2.0, they successfully integrated the Altair upgrade. Uh, with 98.7% of all operating nodes now being upgraded. So what's really the TLDR of this story right here? So effectively, this is the only real-world, real-environment test prior to the merge that will happen that makes the, the full switch over to Ethereum being based on a proof-of-stake mechanism. And so uh, there were two primary changes introduced in this upgrade. The first one was support for light clients because up to this point, uh, to run a node on the beacon chain, there, there was no ability to do so on a light client. And that's basically just a low-resource version uh, of a node that you can run effectively, for instance, on a cell phone or a low-resource uh, machine. And then the second upgrade was to effectively increase the penalties for being offline and increasing the slash mechanism. So these are parameters that are in place to encourage node operators to, to increase their uptime. And so uh, up to this point, those penalties have been lower to give people time to get used to things, basically. But now in this Altair upgrade, they have upped those penalties uh, as things get closer to the full merge. So, yeah, the, the, the good news here is that the merge happened successfully and it happened quietly. You know, there wasn't a lot of hype coming into to this upgrade, at least audible or visual hype online in terms of sentiment, the same way there was with Ethereum uh, 1559 that introduced the burn mechanism. But things went, they went well. Uh, I think uh, from what they reported, it only took about 10 minutes for uh, people to update their, their client that they're using to, to run their node and about 99% of all nodes have already been upgraded and you know it's not even been 72 hours uh, from that point and in tandem we also saw ethereum break uh, to another all-time high so good news there uh, this to me is a good sign that that these folks know what they're doing and that the full merge is going to go well cool so then shiba inu i'm pretty sure you heard about it you might own some you might have some family members who have jumped all the way in on it as uh, as I do but anyhow basically the 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 meme coin mania as it's been dubbed at times is back in full effect and Shiba Inu in October alone has jumped by over 700 percent and so on Wednesday actually Coinbase was down and it's not that the market was really crazy. It was a down day for the majority of the market, but Shiba Inu alongside Curve and one other project, I can't recall off the top of my head, or oh, One Inch, but Shiba Inu, man, folks trying to sign up, folks keep thinking it's going to hit a cent. And I, hey, maybe it hits a cent. <laughs> Very unlikely unless they burn like 99% of the supply, but that's going to have its own ramifications. Uh, but yeah, so Shiba Inu going wild, going crazy. And if you owe some Shiba, congratulations. But definitely know that those numbers, those profits do not matter. They are not real until you cash out. So please, please proceed with some sense and some uh, some caution of sorts. So third up, SEC expected to head U.S. stablecoin regulation and enforcement. 
The report is also expected to clarify the regulatory jurisdiction of the Treasury Department and the CFTC with regards to stable tokens. So basically, the takeaway from this is that the SEC, they want to be put in charge of overseeing the stablecoin segment of the blockchain industry. And to some degree, that, that makes a lot of sense. But what I think we must be, be uh, mindful of is that, as I've spoken about before, we're going to have to see more regulatory intervention come into this space for there to be true longevity. And the the role that stablecoins are playing in a lot of ways is, is an equivalent to cash in a lot of instances within this sector. Nevertheless, a lot of people are using these stablecoins to go and get yields that are way better than what they can find and what has traditionally been the go-to option like bonds because bonds are just they're trash right now. So that being the case, we see that, that Gary Gensler, the chair of the SEC, and some of the heads at the CFTC, they want to come in and they want to have domain over this part of the blockchain industry. So we'll have to see uh, how it goes. But you know, let's, I don't think it's anything to, to be fearful of. At the end of the day, if they do come in with some whack regulations and some whack guidance, then we're going to see the innovation aspect of the blockchain sector come back to the forefront. And at the same time, we'll talk in a moment about something that Tether's doing, but it's important to recognize that not all of these stable coins are created equal. Now, Spell and the magic internet, money and die and all these different things, really do your homework to understand what is actually backing that stable coin because they're not all backed in the same way and do your homework to see who's really going out of their way to remain within compliance. Because what you don't want to happen is to wind up holding a bunch of your profits after this cycle ends, you're holding it in a stable coin that winds up falling down because of how the regulatory environment plays out. So keep that in mind. Next up, we have DBS, the largest bank in Shanghai or Singapore, uh, excuse me. They have joined Hedera Hashgraph as Hedera Hashgraph's governing council. Now, the DBS Bank, uh, it is the largest bank and the oldest bank in Singapore. And they've recently joined the governing board of Hedera Hashgraph, which is a it's a blockchain, but it's 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 pretty unique compared to a lot of other ones. Now, funny, I actually heard about Hedera Hashgraph in 2018, and I didn't follow it as closely, so I didn't buy it the moment that they dropped a token. But basically, they're using a DAG mechanism, which is a the uh, distributed acyclical graph, and it, they use it. It's kind of like a rumor protocol, but basically, you can watch a video to bring it all down. I'm not gonna go into all of that in this in this section right here. But what's important to note, if you didn't know this, is that Man, there are some heavy hitters on the board of Hedera Hashgraph. And so uh, alongside DBS Bank, uh, on this board, you now have Google, IBM, Boeing, uh, Dutch Telecom, which is the company that owns T-Mobile, University of London, Denton's, LG Electronics, and a bunch of other folks. And also recently, there was an announcement that Hedera we're going to create a $5 billion fund. Let me look that up real quick. And if you've been following the space closely, you will have recognized that there is, there's a new way in which protocols bring liquidity uh, to their chain. And one of those is by creating an incentive program that will basically fund development. And then those developers can go out, build a product, and then they can create 
liquidity. And then people can come in and use these protocols. And oftentimes this winds up in airdrops or really high yield for the first few weeks or months that a protocol is out. But Hedera Hashgraph, they announced a $5 billion fund <laughs> incentive program. Let me find that joint real quick. But that is way larger. It is, I think it's the largest I've heard of to date. So let me let me just look this up really quickly so that we can have the proof in the pudding, as they say. Five billion. All right. All right. Yes. Boom. Here we go. Straight from the horse's mouth. That is Hadira. Hadira Governing Council to allocate five billion in HBAR to independent foundation and ecosystem development initiatives. And they just announced this back on September 16th. Okay. So might be something to look at if, you, if you're unfamiliar with Hedera. Uh, once again, not financial advice, but, you know, may, maybe look into it. Maybe look into it. So we got that. Now, this is something I definitely wanted to touch on. And as y'all know, Tether, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Tether. Now, you know, I, I show respect because I, I recognize what they've been able to do in terms of adding trade liquidity and exchange liquidity over the years, especially right after that big crash in 2017. But ultimately, Tether Tether is very likely to be uh, connected to the, the next major crash in the industry, potentially, if they don't tighten up. And I say that because there have been issues in the past with, with how they have backed their stablecoin, U.S. DT, Tether. And so what they're talking about now is introducing travel rules to the use of Tether. So the headline here reads, Tether trials Nota Beans new travel rule technology to combat financial crimes. The travel rule aims to bring reporting standards for virtual asset service providers in line with other traditional financial institutions. So for those of you who may not know, the travel rule is something similar to the KYC requirements and AML. And basically what the travel rule stipulates is that depending on what jurisdiction you're in, you can only you can only move about from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So, for instance, from America to France or so, you can only do that with a certain amount of capital. After you've passed a certain threshold, let's say it's $10,000 or $5,000, you have to report how much you have with you, how much you are moving across those jurisdictions. Now, as far as privacy goes, that's pretty, pretty poor guidance in terms of somebody being able to maintain their privacy. If I'm hopping on a plane, I got a billion in my pocket, I don't want to tell anybody that, really. So this travel rule in the traditional financial world is a thing, and you can there, there are penalties if you are caught um, out of alignment with its enforcement. And so what Tether is doing is partnering up with a technology uh, created by a firm called Notabeam to try to bring this same rule to their stablecoin. And so Notabeam claims to offer a low-risk environment to test sophisticated crypto use cases. Tether will use Notabeam's technology to determine whether it can securely transmit identifying data for clients and other VSAPs, in particular as it pertains to transaction conducted by VSAPs. Notabeam's solution will help Tether protect its consumers. The Financial Action Task Force, a well-run group that sets anti-money laundering AML standards, has determined that VSAPs should adhere to the same rules as regulated financial institutions. The travel rule advises VSAPs to exchange specific client information between counterparties for transactions worth more than a certain amount. So, they have not disclosed what that amount will be, and they have not disclosed uh, how exactly they're going to verify all this information, but 
in my opinion, the part of the reason the tether is going this route is because I think that they recognize they need to do a little bit of recovering and PR to get back in the good graces of regulators because they, they, they've been finessing in large part up to this point. And so by going this route, they are, they are effectively aligning themselves with regulators more than they necessarily have in the past. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's good, good chess move on the half of Tether. But once again, as I've said many times, be mindful of what it is you're using, understand how it works and the ramification. So that's what we have on the Tether front. Now, Facebook, they have signaled they are going all in on VR and NFTs. By changing their name, the parent company's name is now Meta. So Facebook is still Facebook. Instagram is still Instagram. WhatsApp is WhatsApp. Oculus, all of that is all the same. But the holding company of all of it will now, instead of Facebook, be called Meta. So think about how Google, they changed their parent company's name to Alphabet. So Facebook is now Meta. And they had a press conference where they're basically just talking about how they want to really go hard on virtual reality and bringing NFTs into that same environment. And this is something that's already been taking place in the blockchain ecosystem with projects like uh, Mana and Decentraland, the Sandbox, uh, and even with what we've seen with uh, Sotheby's having an auction house and Christie's having an auction location inside of these metaverses. It's funny because once this announcement came out on Thursday, we saw uh, over 50% bump in price on Decentraland. We saw over 20% bump on Axie Infinity. We saw over 40, 50% bump on Sandbox. And this is this is curious to me because I think it, it, it demonstrates that a lot of people who come into the space who are new, uh, they 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 will often jump on trends for for reasons that that are from a fundamental standpoint sometimes a little tenuous because nothing fundamentally has changed about any of those projects I just mentioned but when people hear metaverse they may associate or think that these projects have a direct tie or association with Facebook because of it and then they pour their money into it but. Um, nevertheless, I, I, I do believe that down the road we will see some sort of integration or cooperation between these platforms because even during its press conference, uh, Zuckerberg went out of his way to try to communicate that uh, Facebook will be looking to build collaborative uh, progress in the VR and NFT world and not just come in and be the hegemon and dominate it. But actions speak far louder than words do, so we'll see how that actually goes. But once again, if you had any bread in any of these projects, kudos to you. Taking profits is cool, uh, but who knows how far these things will run. And then another NFT story is Adobe. They will offer users the ability to verify NFT marketplace creations through metadata. And basically what they're discussing and what they're using to integrate it are a few different features. One of them is being able to demonstrate if something is already a verified NFT from artists who may also want to display that work through Adobe. But uh, what they're also looking to do is make it so that people have protections on the meta metadata side of things so that if somebody goes out and, and tries to... Um, tries to copy that work or create some sort of derivative of it, then there's some protection in there. So specifically, as we look through the story, 
uh, they made an announcement on Tuesday, quote, Adobe said it would be partnering with major NFT marketplaces such as OpenSea, Known Origin, and SuperRare to allow users to verify the authenticity of the digital content. Adobe's content credentials can add an NFT creator's wallet address and social media information to the metadata of tokens listed on the marketplace. Quote, this partnership furthers our commitment to empowering users with more tools as we collectively rethink how we transfer digital goods on the Internet, said an OpenSea spokesperson. Working in tandem with market leaders like Adobe and the growing NFT community, we will keep providing features to increase trust and transparency across the metaverse. So uh, this is reinforcing that NFTs, they're, they're not going away anytime soon. And we are seeing massive, massive companies and billion dollar uh, companies and they're getting in, they're getting in. And I think that's going to be a big driver for the, the next leg of this cycle, similarly to how it was the first leg, but to an even greater extent. Now, what I want to talk about here, this is also a segue into uh, the project of the week, uh, but I came across a project by the name of Sand Clock and their ticker is Quartz, like the crystal. And basically what this project does is it allows people to, to in a more granular way, allocate portions of any sort of principle that they may have deposited. It will earn yield, but then the yield that it generates, you can programmatically uh, dictate how it is then subdivided further. So right here, what we're looking at is actually the pitch deck directly from Sand Clock. And also just to give you some information on how I found out about it, I was actually on the uh, launch or the fair auction platform Copper from Alchemist. And Alchemist, uh, they have several different products, but they basically are responsible for the flash bots, the front running uh, protection platform for Mist X, which is an exchange that has that built into it. But they have a launch platform called Copper. And this will allow you to get access to platforms before they are listed on any major sort of exchanges. So uh, let's go over to these auctions. Let's see. Okay, they said the to access the please follow the link shared by the launching projects. Okay, so let me pull it up. So they're working on some back end. Just so you can see exactly. It's just some extra game for you. Boom, boom, boom. Go to sandclock.org and then and the link may not even be there anymore because the token sale is gone. Okay, but just know that was the platform it came from. But basically what it allow you to do is say you deposit $10,000 and then it's earning yield and you earn $10 on it. What you can then do is tell it exactly what you want to happen to that $10 that was generated in yield. So let's say you want to keep 90% of it and then donate 10% of it to some charity of your choosing then it will do that automatically. Or you can have part of it rerouted directly to a prepaid card that you have. And the other crazy thing about this is <laughs> they are working to make it so that when people give donations, because a big motivation behind this platform is to make philanthropy more transparent. So Sandclock's intention is to use the blockchain's verifiability and programmatic execution of money uh, primitives to create greater transparency and fluidity and lower the cost associated with philanthropic endeavors, uh, charity organizations, and so on. And so a cool part of this that I think is, is going to be, could be absolutely massive 
is that when people give and they donate, they are going to create tax receipts that are NFTs. And so then what will happen is that people will be able to sell these NFTs, these tax receipts to somebody else down the road. And then that person will be able to claim that donation on their taxes as a write-off because a lot of people, especially very, very affluent folks, they will donate or they will have kind of a threshold or a minimum amount of donation they give every year so they can reduce their taxable income. But there is a limit to how much you can write off based on donations. So let's say somebody has hit their threshold and they still have excess donations. They can hold on to that NFT receipt and they can use it at a later date or they can sell it on the market to somebody else who may not have donated, but if they buy that, that NFT tax receipt, it will then be as if they were the one who made that donation and then they can use that on their tax returns. So it's something that, that is not being done right now, but is, is, is a phenomenal demonstration of how useful NFTs can actually be. And on top of all of this, if these functionalities weren't powerful enough, the other reason I decided to put some of my own capital and invest into this project early was because I noticed that out the gate, they are keeping regulation in mind because they are already working on different uh, security security protocols that keep them in alignment with what are the standard for institutions uh, at a compliance level so that they are more attractive and more compatible with a lot of these more uh, institutional clients or users of this platform. And on top of that, they're also cross-chain. So we're seeing several narratives come into play here. We're seeing the cross-chain uh, aspect of this, which is always going to be helpful. We're seeing that they want to be in alignment with regulation in terms of their security standards and how they built the platform so that these institutions that have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of billions, hundreds of billions in some instances can use these platforms. And then we're also seeing integrate NFTs and, and, and another use case that they talked about in their conference. And I'll play the video where he just, uh, the co-founder describes this, but even having it an ability to automatically reroute some of this yield back to a trust or an estate down the road so that you can do some, some planning for your lineage. So anyhow, real quick, I just want to play this video of the founder talking about uh, this NFT component. So let me make sure that I have the audio recording from the inside. Give me one moment. Okay, I don't know if I can get the internal volume playing off of my computer, but if you go to the link in the description uh, for the, the show notes, the Philanthropy Summit 2021, you can look up on YouTube from Sand Clock Official and start it at 34 minutes and 32 seconds. But hopefully we can pick up the audio, so give me one second. I'm still going to play it. And of course, we have uh, a lot more benefits to holding bots. Uh, the second one, NFT tax receipts, big one. And we've been referring to it as our new financial primitive. So we tokenize charitable receipts as NFTs with the hopes that a secondary market uh, to increase the efficiency of giving will emerge, whereby one can just fulfill one's social responsibilities by purchasing them for more virtuous people, similar to carbon credits. Uh, so any donation that you make will be accompanied by a nameless NFT detailing the amount donated to our NPO, 
which is our non-profit uh, donation aggregator. And when you burn the NFT, you get to claim an off-chain tax receipt with your name on it uh, and use it in any of our supported jurisdictions. Uh, initially, probably the US uh, and the EU, and then we'll expand from there. And as, as for the other ones, we're still we're still developing, and so we're going to keep them under wraps until we get closer to a launch date. All right. So definitely something I would encourage you to look more deeply into. Uh, I think I think this is going to be a home run. Uh, Kevin O'Leary, he was speaking. He was at this summit, uh, at this particular conference. Rao Paul, uh, Doquan, the, the founder of Terra and Luna. So, so yeah, I, I definitely think it's in him, Jim. It's not even listed on <laughs> on CoinMarketCap yet. So I believe they're launching November 4th. I think November 4th, something to that effect. But anyhow, you can look it up. I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. And then uh, that moves us into the frontier segment of this update, where basically we just communicate some of the risk associated with being early and an early adopter into this ecosystem. And so Cream Finance, uh, they got hacked. And they, I believe it was the third largest DeFi hack so far, but... Yeah, they suffered a severe exploit on Wednesday with an attacker stealing over $100 million worth of funds through a large flash loan attack. Um, and it says the compromised funds were mainly cream liquidity provider tokens as well as other Ethereum-based tokens. So this is something that can happen depending on how the smart contracts are composed, uh, what they're plugging into, and the security of the platform in and of itself. And what is important to communicate in this is that there are there's a lot of interdependencies within this ecosystem because cream finance is built on top of other parts of DeFi, and then there are other protocols that use cream finance. So one of these is Grow DAO, and so this was a protocol that was using uh, cream as, along with other platforms like. Uh, Ave and Compound to help generate yields for its users. But because they were plugged into Cream, they uh, actually were, were victim to uh, losing some of their users' funds because of their integration and their reliance on the Cream protocol itself. So just keep these things in mind. Keep these things in mind when you're venturing out into the deep, deep waters of blockchain and crypto and i mean don't let this stuff scare you off but do know that these things can happen even with protocols that are, are pretty sound uh, so just want to cover that and then the other thing and this is probably the funniest story of the week was there's a token by the name of squid and it's called squid game but the token's ticker is squid and over the last week it has grown by forty five thousand percent 45,000%. Now, what's funny about this is that <laughs> you can't sell it, though. And so, uh, basically, when the white paper came out and they were describing the project, it said that it referenced an anti-dump mechanism. And so, effectively, 
what they try to communicate is that once you have bought the the squid token, you then have to hold marbles to sell any of your squid. And I don't know if it's a one-to-one, but it's not exactly clear how one obtains marbles other than through playing the game that's associated with this protocol. Uh, but that's not exactly clear either. And then just some, some other red flags. So you can't find the founder on LinkedIn. The Telegram group is closed. There's a closed discord. They're blocking tweets. Uh, and they pumped out a mysterious CNBC article, uh, even though they don't have any of those other things. So it's, once again, it's important to be mindful where you're putting your money. Don't become obsessed with trying to 100x your portfolio in a day and put all of your chips on black, put all of your money on something super ephemeral and unknown and unproven because you may wind up holding the damn back. So this has been the industry update for Friday, October 29th. I am Savon Springer and a couple of last announcements. So if you haven't already grabbed your copy, the blockchain blueprint is out. We have it in paperback and it's also available on Kindle. And this was really designed to get people's feet wet. So it's not every single thing you could possibly know about the sector, but it is designed to be a phenomenal primer for working professionals or anybody really in general who, who wants to learn more about the space, but wants to do so in an approachable way, uh, yet thoroughly. So the blockchain blueprint, a practical guide to crypto in an impractical age of fiat that is available now uh, through Amazon. You can also go to nativeassets.co uh, and you can also grab your copy there. Uh, in terms of other announcements, blockchain foundations, that is still uh, in open enrollment right at this moment and for the time being uh, we have a lower tier uh, that's just something separate from our whole mastermind program but the lower tier you can sign up today for that right now for 279 and then that uh, will get you access immediately to the program and you can get rolling and really figure out exactly everything that you need to know to become a confident competent skilled user of and investor in blockchain technology digital assets and cryptocurrencies but once again my name is Savon Springer. I appreciate your time, and I'll holler at y'all very soon. Stay blessed and balanced. Peace.